Welcome to Deutsche Bank's Mark to Market podcast, where we level set with global business leaders on vital topics that we face today. And now over to your host, Mark Fedorsik, head of the Investor Bank, in conversation with Howard Marks, co-chairman and co-founder of Oak Tree Capital Management. Is it wrong to be investing in equities in the current environment, given the valuations? I don't think it's wrong. Uh, there are better times and worse times. And in my book, Mastering the Market Cycle from 2018, was this was it about. The, the subtitle of the book, I'm not crazy about the title. That was the, that, that was the uh, publisher's idea. They thought, make, <laughs> thought, uh, uh, they thought mastering would make people buy it to, so they'd learn how to get rich. The subtitle is really what the book's about. It's, it's getting the odds on your side. So it's never, it's rarely is it so bad that you, you should be totally out of the market or so good that you should be at maximum risk. Um, you have to calibrate your activities to the times and the environment. And um, when the market is high in its cycle, the risks are against you. That doesn't mean it's going down tomorrow, but the risks are against you. And when it's low in the cycle, the risks are in your favor. Well, uh, we're at a tough time to discern right now because we're low in the economic cycle, but high in the market cycle. Uh, I personally do not, you know, there are people who say this is a bubble and it's going to pop, and I personally don't think so for the primary reason that we, we rarely have a, an elevated economy, uh, elevated stock market as we do today at the time that the uh, economy is just starting on a, on a recovery. So I think we have years of economic gains. The, the first year's gains are going to be very easy because they're comparing against some recession periods. Thereafter, I think we'll, we'll return to low growth of, uh, let's say, 2% a year or less in GDP. But it's, it's unusual to have the market. Uh, well, I guess the short answer is I don't see the market cratering uh, as long as we're coming out with good economic results. Oak Tree invests across credit, real estate, private equity, uh, and some equities. Uh, I think the latest numbers I saw over $150 billion of AUM. Right. W- what are the best fixed income investments right now for a low interest rate environment? Yes. Well, uh, the things that have a, a bright future and, uh, and simplicity is simply understood and a exciting concept and ease of transaction uh, are always more expensive than things that are have a rocky future and are are hairy and complicated and hard to trade and illiquid and so forth that that dichotomy is always there but in today's market I think it's been uh, magnified Uh, and uh, that very same uh, uh, action of the Fed in creating so much liquidity and driving buying has, has caused all securities to appreciate strongly. Slight exaggeration, but uh, I mean all public securities. As one of, one of my friends once said, everything with a Q-SIP is expensive and, 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 and more expensive than usual relative to things that aren't public and simple. So that, what that means is the better risk-adjusted return is probably found in the things that aren't liquid and simple. Uh, so privates are, are yield much more than publics. That, that spread has, has widened. Um, 
know, I mean, we were talking before the call. High yield bonds uh, in the last several years have gone from yielding uh, eight to yielding four. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm leaving out the momentary uh, dip in March of last year uh, when when rates got quite high. But, uh, you know, over the last five years, I guess it rate, the yield has gone from eight to four. The yield on mezzanine finance, private lending to smaller companies, which we do in, in one specialty area, has probably gone from 13 to 10 and a half. So the yield on high yield has halved, but the yield on uh, mezzanine has gone down only by 20%. And, and uh, so, you know, private debt, direct lending, real estate, real, I mean, real estate-related debt, uh, structured uh, securities like CLOs and uh, RMBS, uh, 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 retail mortgage-backed securities, uh, these, uh, these, have, uh, these are where you would look for better returns. Not, but, you know, they are, for the most part, illiquid, which is a risk. And uh, they're skill-reliant, uh, because if you invest in public securities, your, your uh, performance isn't likely to diverge from that of the, of, the, of, the, of the average investor by that much. But if you invest in private securities and, and, and structure them yourselves and have bilateral negotiations and so forth, you could do, we hope to do much better than the average, but you could do much worse. You, you have manager dependency. But I, I clearly would, would emphasize the, 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 the private side of the investment business. Two words. One is not really a word. It's three letters. I want to get your reaction to both. How big will these become as an asset class? How are you approaching it from an oak tree perspective? Electronic currencies, i.e. Bitcoin, and then ESG. At the pandemic beginning, I heard a Harvard epidemiologist say that Normally, when we look at things, well, he was talking about viruses, there are facts, there's analogies to history, and then there is supposition, which I, I'd rather use the word guess. But it, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were no facts. We didn't know anything about the coronavirus. There were no past experiences to analogize to. There were only guesses. And that, I think that's a good way to think about everything we do in life. And the way we deal with the stock market is we, we analogize to past patterns. History, Trump said history doesn't, uh, Trump, uh, Twain said history does not repeat, but it does rhyme. And we, we use those rhymes with history to understand what's going on in the present. But there is no history like Bitcoin. There's nothing to analogize to. So we don't know. I came out ne very negative on it four years ago when cryptocurrencies began to popular. That was the year that Bitcoin, I think, became a household name. And I said, it, it, you can't invest in it because it has no intrinsic value. Unlike a, a, a company or a stock or a bond or a building, it doesn't produce cash flow. You can't value it intrinsically. It's only worth what people will pay for it. And uh, so I was very harsh on it. And that's the year it went from 1000 to 20000 uh, And then it uh, went into remission a little bit. Uh, and then Last year, it went from 5,000 or 6,000 to, to, to uh, 30,000. And then this year, of course, to 65. So my son and, uh, and his family lived with us a lot for a bunch of the pandemic. And, you know, he, he said, Dad, there's lots of things that don't produce cash flow. 
but you'd still like to own them. Would you like to have a Jason Pollock, uh, J- Jackson Pollock painting? <laughs> you know, they go for about $90 million a piece. They don't produce any cash flow. They're only valued on what people will pay for them, but they're highly desirable. And, and uh, isn't that also true of, uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, gold? has no backing, has no intrinsic value, doesn't produce cash flow. It's just a matter of what people will pay for it. And yet people use it as a store of value. Isn't that true of dollars? They don't produce cash flow. They're not redeemable for anything anymore. They're only worth what people will pay for them. But they're still desirable. So couldn't that be true of Bitcoin? And and there, the, the supply-demand uh, argument is the argument for Bitcoin. That, that, that supply is fixed and more people are going to want it over time. So I don't know, but uh, I was talking about uh, guesses. All we have with Bitcoin is guesses, and the bulls like it, and the bull bears don't like it. And uh, I wrote a memo about gold in 2010 called All That Glitters, uh, trying to give both sides. But I said that if you take gold and you take away the L, what do you have? God. And the, the believer cannot convince the atheist, and the atheist can't convince the believer. And I think it's the same of cryptocurrencies. And the answer is we'll see. But having said that, there's so much uncertainty that Oaktree wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole as an investment because we only make investments that have intrinsic value. Uh, We're value investors, and that is the key. Now, your other question was on ESG. I think that ESG, the world has concluded that that, that the environment is important and and how you behave uh, societally and what governance you you, – provide for the investors are very important. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the adoration of the corporation reached an apogee under Clinton, ironically, and Bush W. And, you know, they said, that, you know, the free market solves all problems and the corporation's only uh, responsibility is to make money. The more money a corporation makes, the, the better it has served its clients and society because profit what profit is is the excess of selling price over uh, inputs. And if you're taking inputs X, Y, and Z and producing a product which sells for a high price and produces a high profit, you're, you're aiding society. That was the view. You know, I went to University of Chicago, which is the bastion of free markets, and that's the view. But I think that uh, we've now changed from, let's say, 2003 or four when we thought that the corporations only – job was to make money, to understanding that corporations have responsibilities too to society. And that's ESG. And I don't think that's going to go very away very fast, especially given the rising concern over climate. Very important. So I think it's with us for a long time and an increasing amount. Now, that's, that's one thing to say that corporations have non-profit oriented responsibilities. It's something else to say that ESG is, will make you more money than non-ESG compliant investments. And sometimes it's true and sometimes it won't be true over time. It's possible that everybody says we have high SG standards. So ESG investments appreciate greatly and non-ESG qualifying investments depreciate so much that they're ridiculously cheap. So people will buy them despite their non-ESG ESG, uh, characteristics. So, you know, you have to understand that when you include something like ESG, which is a non, uh, non-profit-oriented uh, criterion in your process, you may, in some cases, make, sacrifice return 
for ESG standards. I still think it's important and it's going to grow in importance because nobody is going to say, well, we're going to buy companies regardless of their impact on, on the shareholders, on the community, and on the environment. I have two final questions as we wrap up here. The first is, what advice do you have for young professionals entering the financial services industry today? Well, I think that over the last 50 years that I've been privileged to be part of the investment business, uh, it has been unusually remunerative. Probably the best way to make money uh, in the world over the last 50 years taken together. Uh, today, some people are making more money in, in Silicon Valley or with tech, with tech or biotech, but I think it's still a great, uh, great career. But I think you shouldn't be in it for the money because, you know, things that are extremely unusually profitable tend to kind of regularize over time. Uh, that's one. You shouldn't do it for the money. Uh, my favorite quote is from Christopher Morley, the British writer, who said, there's only one success to live your life your way. And uh, I would, uh, my advice to young people is I, would, I have three criteria. You should do things that play to your strengths. You should avoid things that play to your weakness. And you should do things that you enjoy. You only get one life. It's really true. It's trite, but it's true. Uh, there are no second acts. And to uh, waste your life doing something you don't like just to make more money so you can be richer when you die doesn't make any sense. And, and you, you, work is your main waking hour, waking activity, and you, you must maximize the quality of your life uh, which doesn't mean your your pocketbook. You have to do what you enjoy. And having a job that you enjoy is is the greatest boon on earth. So the final question, which I promised earlier, if you were now writing a concluding chapter in the book, Mastering the Market Cycle, about the COVID experience, what would the title of that chapter be? And then second, how does this all end? Well, I think the title would be Exogenous Influences Can, can Be Enormous. You know, uh, it wasn't a normal cycle. The pandemic was an exogenous uh, event that caused the, us to close the economies so that people wouldn't spread the illness. And that brought about the worst quarter in history in terms of GDP last year, the second quarter. And then the Fed and Treasury actions were sufficient to counter it. And that brought about the best quarter in history, uh, the third quarter last year. So you... you you cannot, I mean, you, so this was a totally non-normal cycle based not on activity, uh, natural endogenous economic activity, but exogenous, uh, let's almost say geopolitical activities or, 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 or worldwide act events. And uh, this can, so this can surprise you at any time and, and produce unexpected results. And, but, you know, I, I believe, uh, Mark, that, that the world is not predictable. And I wrote a memo 20 years ago called You Can't Predict, You Can Prepare. What does that mean? How can you prepare for events if you can't predict them? The answer is you have to kind of think about the, the, the kind of world we, we're probably going to have and what you would do to accommodate to it. We're not going to get the, re, the environment we want. We're going to get an environment that's given to us. And our job is to accommodate to it and, and profit in that environment, given the givens. And uh, I think that uh, I, that's what I would remind people that that 
the, the ups and downs of the cycle are not predictable. But, I mean, we can have a sense for when the odds are in our favor or against us and, and which things are favored or not. So uh, that's, you know, I'm always leery of thinking I know what the future holds. It's a good way to get in trouble. Well, Howard, I, I really have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. We could go on for a lot longer. I, I want to thank you on behalf of all of my colleagues for not just taking the time but sharing so many um, comments that are insightful to all of us around markets, investing, but also just the purpose of, of what we're doing in this job. Really appreciate it. And, of course, I want to reiterate um, the importance of the Oak Tree relationship to Deutsche Bank. Thank you. We feel the same, and uh, I want to thank you, Mark, for this interesting conversation and for the people of Deutsche Bank for their attention for the last half hour. And, oh. and we, too, want to nurture the relationship. Okay. Howard, thank you very much. Hope to have you back, and everyone have a great day. Appreciate it.